This is the Unstoppable Authors Podcast with world-building warrior Angeline Trevina, planning and productivity powerhouse Holly Line, and formatting fireball Julia Scott. Every week we bring you discussions on the craft of writing, author life and business, and interviews with some of the industry's most unstoppable authors. A writer's life doesn't have to be solitary. We're here to bust that myth, support you on your journey, and encourage you to be unstoppable. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of the Unstoppable Authors Podcast. I'm your host, Holly Line. Today I'm talking with Sarah Rosette, historical mystery and contemporary cosy author and the host of the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We talked about plotting mystery books, writing in series and podcasting for readers. First of all, a huge thank you to Julia for holding down the fort and producing not one but two episodes back to back while Angeline and I got ourselves organised and settled in our respective new abodes. I moved house twice in eight days effectively as we had to pack up everything that we need for the next four months in time for the building work to start at our house but we only had one week in our first cottage before moving again to our long-term residence. We are now settled there and it's so lovely. I'm so pleased we booked this place. It's five minutes from our own house so we can drive past and spy on the builders easily, as well as getting to our usual haunts in about the same amount of time as usual. I am hugely relieved to have an office space, albeit shared with my other half, but we're used to that anyway. We honestly thought we'd be working at the dining table in the same room as the kids playing on the Xbox, so to have our own space and a door we can shut is an unexpected bonus. It is, however, sparsely furnished, so if my audio is a bit echoey, that's why, and it will be that way until December. So for our week in the holiday cottage, Hubby and I both took the week off work. We played games and did puzzles all week. It was a much needed break and I found ideas bubbling to the surface once I gave my brain the downtime to do some processing. My intellection really needed it. During that week, however, our cat Misty was staying with my parents and unfortunately his health suddenly declined and I ended up taking him to the vet the day before our second move. He is 17 years old and has been living with kidney disease for several years, so this was expected. His kidneys are barely functioning now, so the vet treated him to make him more comfortable, but he is now receiving palliative care with us. We were told he only had a few days, but the fluids and anti-sickness medication have really seemed to help, and he's been almost his old self again since the weekend. But we know that these are his last days or weeks and are enjoying all the cuddles we can get. This week I'm doing an intensive with Becca Symes' Write Better Faster Academy for my number one strength, Futuristic. It's been eye-opening to say the least and incredibly helpful. And as the name suggests, intense. It's been really difficult to be high futuristic since March 2020 because the future has been in such a state of flux and when it does start to settle, all I can see is a dystopian Orwellian nightmare unfolding. 
but this intensive is helping me to get my futuristic strength spinning more smoothly again and I'm starting to get more hopeful. Not necessarily about the world around me, which is still looking a bit handmaid's tale, but about my little bubble of life. My expectations are shifting and I'm starting to be able to see some brighter spots on the horizon. I've been very gently easing back into writing and doing some character work on my Felix Jones book, with the help of Eight Steps to Side Characters by Sasha Black. This is really interesting to me because normally I just discovery write my books with very little pre-planning, but with this one I felt compelled to do quite a bit more pre-work than I have in quite a while. It's because it's a new series, new characters and new world elements, and all that exists already is a novella. I'm definitely at my best with a sandbox ready to play in, so I'm building that sandbox. I expect the words to flow easily once I reach a certain point of planning. Once this intensive is finished, I'll be devoting my full attention to world building and character development. Now then, last week Julia asked you, who would you love to be in an anthology with and what genre would you choose? Over in the Facebook group, we had replies from Nikki Madonna, who said, I've been in several anthologies written by different authors. I found the experience to be positive, not in terms of follow-on sales, but in being part of a group of writers, all wanting the same thing, to produce quality work. I found it helped me to go back to my stories and work on them until they were better. It's good to have competition. Edwin Downward said, I'm not a short writer as a rule and never once thought of submitting an anthology before Sasha Black opened her Rebel Diaries anthology earlier this year, and that only because I'd written a short explore backstory piece I thought could fit the call. On Instagram, Sky Summers said, I'm in two with Lindsay, who was Julia's guest last week. No, make that three and counting. It's good fun a good way to meet good peeps and find supporting network of authors and learn loads. Uh, we also had replies from Lindsay and some of her um, fellow anthology authors. So thank you everyone for contributing to the discussion. This week, I'd like to know if you were going to start a podcast to reach new readers, what would you podcast about? No new patrons this week, but I want to say how much we appreciate all of the wonderful folks who support the show. Patrons get early access to episodes, exclusive behind-the-scenes access to our off-air banter, as well as the warm, fuzzy feeling of supporting the podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so for just £3 a month at patreon.com forward slash unstoppableauthors. You can also follow us for free and see our public updates there. Patreon automatically emails posts to followers so you will never miss a thing. It would be really great if you could take a moment to share this episode on social media, grab a screenshot, share it directly from your podcast platform or even take a selfie with it. Just remember to tag us so that we can share it too. It means so much to hear from our listeners and to know that you enjoy the show. And now on to the interview with Sarah Rosette. USA Today bestselling author Sarah Rosette writes light-hearted historical mysteries and contemporary cozies. She co-hosts a podcast for writers called Wish I'd Known Then. Her non-fiction for writers includes How to Outline a Cozy Mystery and How to Write a Series. Sarah loves reading Golden Age mysteries and considers dark chocolate a daily requirement, which I completely agree with. Hello yes. and welcome to Unstoppable Authors. Hi, thanks for having me. 
So why don't you um, start us off by letting on our listeners know a bit about you and your writing journey? Okay, well, um, always loved reading, always loved books. Going to the library as a kid was like my favorite thing to do. And I dreamed of being an author. And um, it, I went to school and uh, majored in English because, you know, that was what I was best at and that's what I enjoyed. But then when it came time to graduate, I looked for jobs outside of writing and I didn't pursue my goal of writing a novel because that's what, you know, what you do, you get some, a serious job. So um, I got married and moved around the country and worked in different jobs. And all the while I was trying to sell articles to magazines and um, things, essays to anthologies and didn't have a whole lot of success doing that. And in the back of my mind, I always wanted to write. So um, eventually I decided when I had, um, when we had our second child, I thought, you know, my life is just going to get busier. It's not, there's not ever going to be a big space of time for me to sit down and write. So I just tried to work it in. I decided I would try and write that novel and work it in, you know, during nap time and things like that. So mm-hmm. I worked on it for a couple of years. I uh, started going to conferences, learned about publishing. I sold that book and it was the first in a series, a cozy mystery. And I worked on that series for a while. And then eventually um, I heard about indie publishing and I was like, oh, tell me more. I want to hear more about this. <laughs> so I got involved in indie and I started, I was hybrid for a while. I was traditionally published and indie published also in cozy mystery. And it just, I just enjoyed indie so much. I enjoyed the creative freedom and just the ability to, you know, write what I wanted, you know, to set my own course, to put something on sale if I wanted. And so I just, I decided to go all indie uh, in 20, I think 2018 or 2019. And so I've been all indie ever since then and just love it. I write, now I write historical mysteries. I have the cozy mysteries and um, do some of the nonfiction I've done for writing is basically for, for writers is things that I've learned over time that I'm like, oh, I wish I'd had this. I wish I had known this and it's so, you know, putting that out. And then I do the podcast with Jamie Albright about what authors and writers wish they had known. Mm-hmm. That's me in a nutshell. And you, do you have a podcast for readers as well? I do. It's much more sporadic. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the season model with that where mm-hmm. I, I, I talk about just books that I've, mystery books that I've enjoyed. So it's purely for readers and so I've done the first season. My plan was to do a season and then release that and then write a book and then do another season. And this life has just been crazy, but I have gotten back to it and I'm recording season two. So it will be out soon, mm-hmm. but um, that was much more sporadic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of us can probably relate to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so who inspires you to write mysteries? Oh, I grew up reading mystery. So I started reading Nancy Drew, of course, mm-hmm. Trixie Belden uh, when I was a kid. And then I moved into like this kind of now at the time it was called romantic suspense, which is nothing like romantic suspense now, but like Mary Stewart, Victoria Holt, um, Phyllis Whitney, authors like that. It was a very heavy mix of romance with mystery. And those influenced me hugely. Um, um, Elizabeth Peters, she was kind of in that same vein. And then, um, but all these books were set in like these exotic locations and I had never traveled outside of the United States. And, you know, I was like, I can't write about like 
Cyprus or something like that. I've never been there. So I needed to be there to write about it. So I found Cozy Mysteries. I read a book by Carolyn Hart and I was like, oh, these are set in a small town and they're about a small group of people. I think I could do this. And I figured out kind of the structure of how it worked. And I was like, okay, I think that this might be possible, but it wasn't until I found that type of genre that I felt like I could write something, like I could write a book. Mm, yeah. So I know obviously it's a, a big um, a big divide among many writers between plotting and discovery writing. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously you've written a book, How to Plot or How to Outline a Cozy Mystery. Um, so I'm guessing you outline. Um. I do, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't, I'm not like a huge outliner, but I do have a plan. Mm-hmm. How important do you think it is to outline with mystery in particular as a genre? Well, that's what I was going to say. Mystery is uh, a little challenging because you have so much going on and so much of it depends on the details. And I mean, you can write a whole book and then figure out who the murderer is and go back and seed in your clues and red herrings. Mm-hmm. And I know lots of people who do it that way. And if that works, that's fine. But for me, I like to have an idea of where I'm going. I feel much more comfortable if I know, okay, so the first quarter of the book, this is how this is going to work. And then I'm going to come to this point. Like I have big signpost things. And I know in each section of the book, what kind of needs to happen. And I feel much better knowing that. And I think if you know, um, if you know your murderer and you know the victim and you know the murder method, it can save you a lot of time because then you're not going back and changing things you know Mm -hmm. it just saves some time in the editing I think yeah so what plotting method or methods do you like to use well it seems to change with each book you know but I do um let's see there's some books that I've read I loved um James Scott Bell's plot and structure love that um there is a method called that I just found out about called spaghetti pole plotting, which I had never heard of, but I think I've been doing it instinctively mm-hmm. all along where you take a sheet of paper and you write down all your characters and then you just draw lines between them and how, how they're connected. Mm. And I do a version of that. I do like, I take the victim and I put them in the middle and I put all the characters around them and how they're all connected because mm-hmm. you have to like in the mysteries that I write that are more like a closed community you've got to have a reason for everyone to be, to know the victim and like, how do they know them? And how is your sleuth going to know them? Mm-hmm. That's all stuff that if I can figure that out before, it's much easier. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that before, but I do sort of brain mapping kind yes. of stuff. Yeah, um, mind mapping, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm just um, embarking on a series that's a bit more mystery. It's a sort of private investigator, supernatural mm-hmm. Um, yeah. type thing and I was I could instantly see how I could do that to you know like I don't have a victim but I have a, a stolen item so yes. I can you know put the item in the middle and then how is everyone connected to it and what are the links and yeah I yeah. and I'm a very visual person so that really appeals to me yes me too I feel better if I have it on paper I can see it mm. yeah. yeah do you like to keep all of your planning kind of analog then are you very much a pen and paper kind of person or do you have Um, digital tools as well that you use? I usually start on paper. Like I have a notebook or a big, I used to have like these big, my kids had these, those big uh, 
scrolls of paper that you can enroll mm-hmm. that they could just draw on. And that's what I started with. I would take one of those and I kind of map out my whole story, like mm-hmm. the highs and lows on it. I don't do that much anymore. And lately I've used Trello, which is like an online app that you, it's free and you can uh, create boards. It's kind of like Pinterest. Mm-hmm. And so I've used that to create like, um, I'll put like my characters and what they look like and the places I use. I like that for visual and Pinterest for visual. I do a board usually with each book, but that's more just like inspiration and ideas, not necessarily plotting. Mm. Sure. Okay. So um, how did your nonfiction books for writers come about? What, I mean, you did touch on that earlier, but um, yeah. How did you decide like, I'm going to write a book for writers? (laughs) I never thought I would write a book for writers, but um, I kept thinking, you know, oh, I really, it would have been really helpful if I could have figured these certain things out before. And I realized that um, if I just, I thought if I just write this down, hopefully it will help other people. And so that was the thing for the cozies was like, I knew a lot of people were interested in writing cozies. There was kind of a point a couple of years ago when a lot of people like the indie world was opening up to more and more writers. And then there were a lot of people moving into cozies, especially from romance. They were um, like, they didn't want to write romance anymore and they wanted to try something new. And a lot of people came into cozies and I thought, well, if I write all this down, you know, it, it can help people give them a framework that they can kind of make their own. Mm. And um, the series thing, I wrote down the series book because I didn't realize that there were different types of series. And when I was uh, trying to plot a mystery, I kept reading all this, you know, plotting books when I first started. It was all about the hero's journey. Mm. And that works. But now there's the heroine's journey. And I think I found that now, and I think that would have helped me then, but I didn't realize that you could have a flat art character, that your character doesn't have to go through this huge change. And a lot of mysteries have that more um, bro type character where it's more episodic mm-hmm. and to try and fit that into a hero's journey, it was like kind of a little mismatch in a way. So it really helped me once I figured out, oh, I can do this. And I don't have to do the hero's journey. Yeah. Um. So yeah, um, tell me a bit more about this because um, I've read your series book um, and yeah, a lot of it made total sense to me. Um, and so yeah, tell me more about what are the options then um, other than the, the hero's okay. journey? Okay, well, um, so what I learned is that you can have a, a series with multiple protagonists that like, um, like you, it, a lot of this is common in romance. Like you have two characters that are in book one and then you have two different characters in book two, but they're linked. Mm. And then, so that's just like, you can be linked through like location, family, a job, you know, something. So somebody will pick up a book and they'll say, I want to read about, you know, this small town and I'm going to read about these different characters. Mm. So that's one type of series. There's another type of series that's the uh, robust arc series where your character goes through a big change. So that would be like, like Harry Potter, like he's different at the end of the series than he was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then um, you can have a flat arced character series, which is more episodic. Like we talked about with the, you know, bro or Miss Marple, where the character, the main character doesn't change, but the characters in the world around the protagonist change. And sometimes just the protagonist being there changes things, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, um, you know, it's very interesting. So that's kind of like a high level overview of kind of the different types of series that I've discovered. 
Yeah. And which is your favorite to write? Oh, well, I think I have finally properly set up a flat art character. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I enjoy that <laughs> because I can go in, drop in, write the story and leave in there are small arcs for the character in there. But once I got that series set up, I'm like, that series can go on. It can continue. And um, I've also written the robust character arc. And I really enjoyed that one as well. But I kind of felt like, okay, we're at an end point in, you know, like she's completed this journey. And then to continue to write that series, if readers ask for more, I, I, was, I was like, well, there's really not more story to continue unless I start, you know, a new arc. So that one, I think people can really get into the character and enjoy the character. I think that one, they can get really close to the character and identify with it, mm-hmm. the main character, but then there is an end point. So when it probably depends on what kind of mood I'm in that day, mm-hmm. which one is my favorite, but right <laughs> now I'm really enjoying the flat art character. Mm. Yeah. There's a definite um, sort of business advantage, isn't there to a flat arc because that series can go on as long as you have new ideas yeah Um, and you look at something like the Dresden Files it's up to like what 18 books or something yeah yeah as long as you're interested and want to keep writing in that world then you can keep going so I guess the thing with that is you just want to have a big enough world that you have enough to explore for Mm -hmm. you know 20 books or whatever you want to do (laughs) yeah (laughs) for people who really want to do the robust arc um what options do they have if they come to the end of an arc what could they do to um capitalize on what they already have well i would think so like whatever you did in the beginning can you twist it or change it if you want to continue it so like perhaps your character has um retired from a job maybe so what could they do? Like maybe they decide to pursue something new in retirement and that takes them into a whole nother area. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, so the series that I learned this on was um, I had, I had a plan for three books and I was done and I was out and the uh, readers liked the series. And I was like, okay, well I can do one more book. And at the end of that fourth book, I was like, Oh, I can give this character a new job basically. So she started a new job. Um, and then the art kind of changed to more like an entrepreneurial thing. Can she, you know, succeed? Can she solve her first case, you know, her first problem? And um, then can she work on her own? So, you know, that was more an entrepreneurial arc. So it could be, you know, like a relationship arc. Maybe your character gets remarried. Um, maybe they move to a new place. You know, you just kind of have to figure out um, how you can take this story in a different direction because I don't, I think readers would be disappointed if you just kept retelling the same arc, you know, I think they would want something new. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And how about sort of um, like interconnected series, like maybe with different characters or a different situation? Yes. Yeah. You could, you might decide that you'd rather spin it off instead Mm of extending it. So you might have a character that readers are really connected with and they want more about you know, their backstory, that might be the perfect opportunity to take a spin-off character and create a whole nother series. And then you're developing like a, a world, you know, mm-hmm. where I think readers really love that. If you can cross over, mm-hmm. it's really hard for me because I get into a book and I'm in that book and I'm not thinking about all the other stuff, but if you have a whole universe, then mm-hmm. if readers love it when they're like, oh, that's 
the librarian from book four in this other series. They love that connectedness. So I think if you can do that, that, you know, will make your readers even more excited about reading, you know, your, your other books. Yeah, absolutely. So what do authors need to bear in mind when deciding to write a series? Oh, there's so much. I've just been, I'm starting a new series and I'm a little terrified because I feel like there's so many options, but I think if you can figure out what, what your goal is with the series, if you want it to be open-ended and go on forever, then you can structure it that way. If you want it to only be in, in, in mystery, a lot of mystery series are open-ended and they can go on forever, but other genres, I think maybe like sci-fi and fantasy readers are more used to this is a trilogy or there are six books in this series and we're done. So you probably want to think about your genre as well and what the expectations are there. Mm -hmm. So I think if you can figure out like uh, what your goal is as a writer, then you can figure out, okay, you know, I want to set this up where I can write one book in this series every year for 10 years or whatever, or I want to write, you know, six books and be done and move on, you know, Mm -hmm. think about what, what you like to write Mm -hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then, you know, it depends on how deep you want to get into the planning and plotting. And I, I normally don't think, I mean, I just can't hold like 12 books in my head. I can only hold maybe two or three. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I'll know, okay, so this is going to be my first, you know, couple of books. This is what's going to happen. And then I know I'm like, okay, if this goes well and it sells, then possibly I can do this new arc that will last for six books or whatever. So I like to plan a little more, um, I guess, like in burst, you know, like two or three books and then two or three books. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I think of. And I try not to open too many threads. I've done that for, I get so many things going. And then if it doesn't go well, I can't wrap it all up, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, so if you kind of, um, dole out your threads, your subplots, so that maybe you're not overwhelmed if you decide, okay, I don't want to write books four, five, and six. I'm going to wrap it up in book three. Then, you know, you're not overwhelmed. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so I had a question and it's just disappeared straight <laughs> out of my I hate head. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so um, let's move on to podcasting. Okay. So how is it different podcasting for writers and for readers? Oh, it's completely different because mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like a lot of writers do this either with their marketing or their, their podcasting, their podcasting and marketing to other writers mm-hmm. when they're trying to sell fiction. And so, you know, if you're marketing to other writers, you're probably not going to sell many books. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're, um, you have to figure out who you're podcasting for. So like if you're podcasting for readers, that's when I talk about books and the things I like about books. And since I'm doing mysteries, I don't want to have any spoilers in there. So I just talk about like, hey, here's the book. Here's my favorite part of it. These are the themes. These are the tropes so that readers will know, oh, um, I like that, that trope or that situation. I might like that book. So it's more, it's a content curation more mm-hmm. than anything else, you know, whereas the podcast that I do uh, with Jamie for writers, it's more informational. It's like, Hey, this is, you know, what we did. This is the lessons we've learned. And we talk to the people that 
have been in this business for a while and let ask them, you know, so hopefully people can learn more so they don't have to make the same mistakes that we did or, you know, so that's, it's a totally different mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like for readers, there's a, like you can introduce them to your books, but then I wanted the podcast to be more than just about my books because I don't know that somebody would tune in every week just to hear more about my books. I mean, mm-hmm. they might be interested, but I think the option of, Hey, here's some new books you might like will draw more people in mm-hmm. and maybe get people to try it. So yeah, it's still experiment. I don't know if it's working or not. It's hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's um, merit in having a, um, a podcast that's like an audio drama um, would that, do you think that would lead to book sales or are the audiences too different? I don't know. There's a huge, I mean, there's so many, um, audiobook listeners mm-hmm. that if you could tap into that group of people who enjoy listening to books, mm-hmm. I think that could be really good. I think discovery is the hard part. Yeah. Um, you know, you would have to, and I think part of that with podcasts is they, they're out there and they seem to have longer, um, staying power than like an ad or something. You know, like if you run a Facebook ad or something like that, that's going to have its day and then be gone. Mm-hmm. Whereas your podcast, you could put that out. And then as long as it's evergreen, it can just sit out there. So like a, a drama like that could be really interesting. I think it would be a lot of work, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it could be really good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's your top tip for podcasting for readers? Um, I would say probably just keep them in mind. Like what would they want? And, um, and I mean, there's all different uh, links. I try and keep my podcast for readers pretty short so that they can listen to it on the go. So it doesn't seem like, oh, this is an hour and a half of mine are like maybe 10 or 30 minutes at the most. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that, but it just depends on what you're looking for. So mm-hmm. I would think mainly think about your, if you're trying to attract a reader, what would they be interested in? What do they want to hear about? And if they're open their podcast app, what are they going to type in? What are they looking for? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remembered my other question. Oh, um, good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, back to writing in series. Um, okay. Do you think it's, uh, what do you think is the optimal approach in terms of release schedule? Do you think that for a series, it's good to get maybe hold books back and then release everything at once or drip the the books as you write them? Like what's, what's your approach and what have you seen work and not work? Well, I've done the write it and then release it. Right. You know, just as Mm -hmm. soon as I can. And then for my last series, my historical, when I launched it, I wrote the first two books and held them. And then while they were being edited, I started the third and put the first one on pre-order. So that one, I did sort of a rapid release, not really, because I did like, I released book one and then I put book two on pre-order for like 90 days. So I think that if you can do that, it lets people know that there are more books coming. Mm-hmm. and. I think having maybe books one and two out fairly close together, or at least one on pre, at least book two on pre-order 
it will help people remember you. I think there's so many books now that I like, I, there are a couple of um, authors that I like that are traditionally published. And so like their second book comes out and I think, Hmm, I don't really remember exactly who all these minor characters were. So I think if you can have your books come out a little bit closer together, it can help readers remember you and identify with you and go, Oh, that's that series. I remember it. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm going to try and do from now on is like, if I start a new series, probably release books one and two, at least closer together instead of like six months or a year apart. And I feel like once you've got a couple of books out, then you can kind of slow down your pace a little bit, you know, Mm. will ever be happy. You know, if they're enjoying the series, they want the next one, you know, (laughs) like last week. But um, yeah, I feel like if you've got some content out in that series, then you can kind of slow down just a little bit. So yeah. And I've done it where, you know, I just wanted to get the next book out and that, you know, that seemed to work okay. But I think that was a couple of years ago when there wasn't as much, content in the, you know, for readers to, mm-hmm. to enjoy, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like if you can do a couple, if you can hold them back, there's an advantage to that, but then it's awfully hard when you have them done and you're ready to go. It's hard yeah. to hold them back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But we're moving into such a sort of binge culture, aren't we? Where people can just stream yes. their favorite content and consume it all at once. I, I wonder if it's sort of inevitable that books are going to have to go that way. Yeah. And I have noticed some traditional publishers, I think that they're probably holding back because I've noticed mm-hmm. some of them will release like books one, two, and three all within like nine months to a year, which is really fast for them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they've got to have those already done and, you know, yeah. in the pipeline. So if they're moving to that, then that tells me that, that, probably that's the way things are going. And I know as a reader, I love it when I find a series and there's like six books. I'm like, oh, yay. I can just delve into all this. <laughs> yeah. I had a friend message me actually just this evening, absolutely gutted because what she had thought was a trilogy and she binged the whole lot. Turned out there is a fourth book not out yet. And she's oh, devastated no. and she's got to wait and she's got to read something else first. And it's like, yeah, that's that's disappointing. It's- awful yeah I just found a new trilogy well actually it's a it has it's a trilogy but then it has a fourth book and I didn't realize that I just happened to hear about the first book and I picked it up and I was like oh this is good so I'll get the others and I was like I'm so glad I did not begin reading them at the beginning because mm-hmm. now I can just read them all at once really quickly and that's <laughs> what I want to do <laughs> yeah yeah um so what what tools can writers use to market a series effectively Oh, okay. So that's, there's a lot of stuff you can do. So you can like make book one, a low price or free. And that's always great because then you're kind of, if you can make it free, it kind of reduces any friction to getting people into the series and you don't have to leave it that way. You could just do price reductions, you know, and then um, hopefully once you've got them in there, then they'll read through. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, series are actually pretty easy marketing because you can put, you know, your, first one for free or a low price or put it on sale. And then hopefully that will draw readers in and get them reading in your series. Um, box sets are another great thing to do. You can, you know, like if you've got a seven book box set or seven book series, you can bundle up the first couple of books and then sell those as a bundle. And then you can put that on sale occasionally, you know, to generate interest. 
um, that's mostly what I do. And um, I just think that you've got a lot of options and it's like, you don't have to market each in book individually. You can focus on your first book. Mm-hmm. Although like the mystery series that are episodic, technically you can come in at any point and you really haven't missed much, you know, as far as what's going on in the characters' lives. But almost every reader I've ever met or talked to, they want to start with book one. So mm-hmm. I feel like if you're marketing that book one and getting people in there, that's probably your best thing and most time efficient. Instead of having ads running on all the books in the series, you mm-hmm. can just focus on that first book, maybe the first and then your most recent release, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you have several series. Um, mm-hmm. How sort of... Um, in terms of your um, release schedule, do you skip between books or do you finish a whole series first and then move on to a different one? Like, how does that work? Uh, Well, so uh, when I first started indie publishing, I had this grand plan. I was going to have four different series and I was going to have a release in each series, each quarter. And I was like, that will boost, you know, that series. And then I'll, and it turned out to be, I couldn't do it. I can, I mean, I'm not a hugely quick writer. So like three to four books a year is about the max I can do. So planning on four releases each year, I just couldn't do it. And then I found my, um, like my brain would get in one series and I would have a hard time switching Mm -hmm. to another series. So what I've decided is that it's better if I write maybe two in one series and then switch to another Mm -hmm. and work on that one and maybe hold one of those back. That may be my plan from now on. But when I switched to the historicals, I did those three books in a row. And then I went back to my other series and released a book in the other series. And I, you know, I'm just not, I'm not good at juggling them all. And I think (laughs) that I'm very, uh, I'm a people pleaser. And so it's like, if somebody says, Oh, where's the next book and blah, blah. I feel like, Oh, I gotta go write that. So I think I do better if I do a couple of books in each year in a series and then move on. So from now on, that's what I'm going to try and do because it seems to take less brain power to write in the Mm -hmm. same series world and then switch to another series world and do a couple of books in that. So Mm -hmm. we will see if that works. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully better (laughs) than my original plan. (laughs) How do you involve your readers in decisions like that? Or do you involve them in decisions Uh, like that? Well, they like what I did with the, that first series that I thought was done after three books, they asked for another one. So I was like, okay, I can do it. <laughs> I didn't really think it through that well, but now I would think about it a little bit more, but um, I do. I basically, I, I take what readers are saying and then I combine that and I look at um, how the sales are because sometimes like there are certain series of mine that, that the readers love and like they love, love, love that series, mm. but it, it doesn't make me as much money as another series. So I kind of have to balance it with, you know, the financial aspect. Mm. So, yeah. So I kind of, I take into account what they're asking for. And then also I have to think about like, there are certain series that I really don't have any more ideas for that theme or that those characters, they're kind of, kind of done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with those, like the traditionally published series, I tell my readers, I said, okay, this series is done. I have nothing else to say right now about this. Um, so some of my series I have ended, so I'm, they're not all open right now. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, so 
that about wraps up my questions. Okay. So could you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and your books? Sure. Yeah, my website is sarahrosette.com. That's Sarah without an H, no E on the end of Rosette. Mm-hmm. And my books are wide, so they're everywhere. You can find them on any retailer. Wonderful. I'll include links um, to your podcast as well. Um, so there is one final question, which all of our guests have to answer on the Unstoppable Authors. A, would you rather question? Okay. So <laughs> would you rather be transported back to the 1920s or stay in the modern day, but be teleported to random locations every 24 hours? Oh, my goodness. Mm. I think I would say 1920s because I think that would be fascinating and I'm a big researcher so it would be fascinating to see and experience that I think that would be really cool <laughs> so the other could be really cool too so it's a tough choice but it is exactly 1920s <laughs> lovely well thank you very much for joining me Sarah it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you oh, well thanks for having me it's been fun yeah you're welcome A huge thank you to Sarah for donating her time. I really hope that our listeners have found that helpful. Just a reminder of our question of the week. If you were going to start a podcast to reach new readers, what would you podcast about? And remember that if you want to hear all the backstage stuff and get all of the other benefits, you can join us over at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors. And don't forget to share the podcast online and tag us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Unstoppable Authors. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Unstoppable Authors podcast. We'll be back next week with more of our tenacity and worldly wisdom. Don't forget to visit our website to get the show notes and heaps of helpful blog articles at unstoppableauthors.com. And join our guild of unstoppable authors and you will not only hear from us every week, but you will also get a free digital copy of my book, 30 Days of World Building. If you enjoyed the episode, please remember to subscribe and leave a review.